welcome to Zonan Canada. I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. Uh, joining me today is uh, someone you haven't heard from in quite a long time. Uh, it is Carl Olson, the all-but co-host of this show. Carl, how's it going? Uh, good for somebody who's been absent, but also the co-host. <laughs> what, what have you been up to lately, Carl? I've moved far from you. Uh, yeah. no, I, I live, I live in Victoria now, or Victoria area, um, because I purchased a house. Because uh, that's what you get to do. When... Carl Olson, millennial homeowner. Yeah. All I had to do was get a better job offer uh, in tech. So I had to work in tech first. Then I had to get a better job offer than my current one. And then I had to use that to essentially uh, give my current job the ultimatum of either I take this higher paying job or you pay me a little bit more, but then I get to work basically full remote. Like I go into the office maybe once every month to six weeks for like meetings um uh, so and so that i can move somewhere where i can afford to actually own a home because like i i could not be a millennial homeowner in vancouver like that's <laughs> i mean i'm i i don't have that kind of generational wealth at my access <laughs> accessible to me but uh i can i could i can make it happen out in victoria and uh so yeah, purchased a purchased a home. Uh, my my wife, uh, the illustrious uh, nurse Hella, is very happy to have a uh, area to garden. So yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's definitely <laughs> one of the one of the big advantages of, of having, yeah it, having a home is being able to like, grow your own grow your own shit. It's also just like it's a good it's a good hobby. It's it's mm. very fun. Um, but it's something you can't. It's like even if like you know people are like well you could have bought a a condo in Vancouver. I'm like, no, not really. Like I'd still be like way out in like Surrey or like Maple Ridge or something. If anything though, your, your options for anime conventions have, uh, yeah, I have, I, have, I, have gone, gone on the downturn now. I don't know because on the other hand, I can take a boat to Seattle. Um, that's much faster than me driving to Seattle. Um, it's slightly more expensive. Certainly faster than Amtrak. Yes. But on the other hand, uh, you know, now we'll have to figure out some other way to watch animes at the same time because Jesse was my watching animes buddy. Though I'm watching uh, the the P five the Persona five anime with uh, with Nersala, so that's good times. It's it's so clearly paced. Like, oh yeah, we've got two cores. We don't have to rush this. <laughs> well, uh, I, at least some show out there is handling its uh, its two core structure constantly. <laughs> <laughs> Not darling in the Franks. Um, <laughs> They yeah. get the fireworks factory. Yes, there's a lot of talk about fireworks factories. Uh, yeah, that actually might be a good thing to bring up a little later. Um, this year we had quite an eventful uh, April Fool's Day, or at least the events around April Fool's Day this year uh, were pretty notable. Um, I was at SoccerCon that weekend. I will say that I had a lot of fun this year. Uh, socially speaking, it was probably one of the best times I've ever had at the con. I mean, I've gone to that con for uh, like 12 years now. And this that is, is insane. <laughs> I, I missed one year. One year I, I chose to go to uh, Emerald City instead. I don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, uh, it, it was a good time. I, met, I got to meet up with a number of Anna Twitter people. Uh, most notably, I finally got to meet uh, Ian and Patrick, uh, both of whom had been, uh, been on this show before. Uh, Ian I've known for like 14 years. This is the first time I actually got to meet him. And that was definitely great. Uh, hung out with those guys and some, some other Anna Twitter people uh, constantly throughout the weekend. We had a, a great time. I hope I can meet up with some of them again soon. Um, I, uh, yeah, I roomed with Jarvis Gray, uh, who you might know on Twitter. Twitter. He does some some panels at SakuraCon and, and other places as well. Um, that was that was pretty good. Um, he just loved showing off all his, all of his expensive tech all the time. Um, like Jarvis 
he likes to be super overprepared for his panels. He he brings all this ga- gadgetry so that he can be prepared for basically any situation uh, that could occur, which is, you know, good thinking because... I, I, I could imagine that after a certain point where you're just like, you know what, if I'm going to do panels on the regular, on the regular, if, even if you can't directly write it off, you just have the justification of like, then my panel went well. Like you're yeah. like the reason you went to that con, you can't be like, mm, con, con rooms weren't set yeah. up well. It's like, screw it. I'm, but, I'm squared up. I don't yeah, care. But here's, I, the, I, I can see the value in that. <laughs> here's the thing. He, he did run into a technical problem at the beginning of his, uh, win anime sells out panel. Uh, mm. And nothing that he had on him was able to resolve the issue in the panel. Oh, was delayed no. by about 10 minutes. And to oh, be fair, no. to be fair, the the technical problem there was because the people who were using the room before messed around with all the the sound connections, and it just wasn't. Yeah. It didn't have the. It was a straightforward solution, but it took a long time to to figure out. And that was unfortunate because that was a really good panel. It was basically showing a bunch of footage of uh, anime characters hawking products. Uh, it took a bunch of, uh, of ads of things like Loop on the Third and, and Fist of the North Star and, you know, in Western ads for like, like the, uh, Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon Ford ads. Uh, oh man. So it, so it was, it was, it was, it was a stellar panel. If he, if you ever see him doing it at a different con, I, I highly recommend, uh, checking that one out. Um, he also did one explaining obscure cultural references in anime as well. It touched on a lot of mm. things I hadn't thought about before. Now, there were some other good fan panels going on at the, at the convention that weekend as well. Uh, Steve Jones from uh, ANN, he, he goes by Vestinet on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a panel uh, called Twin Peaks is Anime, kind of exploring the uh, the influence that uh, David Lynch has had on anime, especially in the 90s. Um, it, oh, was, yeah. it was really interesting. He drew some really interesting parallels um, that I hadn't thought about before uh, between both the old and new Twin Peaks and uh, various anime that, uh, you know, that, that you can draw very clear connections to. One interesting parallel that he drew was, uh, between Twin Peaks The Return and Evangelion 3.33, uh, and how those played on audience expectations and toyed with nostalgia and, and dimensions yeah. like that in, in really interesting ways that were kind of polarizing. I, I really hope that if 4.44 is ever made, we uh we get to see Shinji's forgotten that he's Shinji uh for ninety percent of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. thinks he's he thinks he's Dougie Jones. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is Shinji's copy. That would be uh, yeah, that would be that would, oh that would be pretty Lord. amazing. I frankly I'm just hoping that we could get I I'd be happy if we just got an announcement of uh of the yeah. last film uh sometime. It would be year. really cool if that we ever knew that that was going to happen because like it is definitely the kind of thing where I I knew this like that it was never going to hold to the schedule that it was going to that it was uh, originally announced to. Oh, we're going to do these films with this kind of regularity. It's like no you're not. You're Hideaki, you know. Come on. Uh, again, fireworks factory. Like, I want to see, I want to see this, I want to see where he's taken the audience expectations. I want to see his episodes 17 and 18 of Twin Peaks season three in the Evangelion context. Um, cause like, I think that's actually, actually, that could be very well the kind of thing that he ends up going for. Like, it could be like, then it's like suddenly cuts to like Shinji's actual voice actor and like his in Hideaki Anno's hometown or something really weird and screwy like that. But it's like, I want to, I want it at this point. So it's like, get it, get, you know, knock it out. Um, part of the reason why Ava spawns so many, um, response anime. And I think it's like, it's like imitators. I'm like, no, they're responses. It's other animators saying like, you thought this, well, I'm going to take 13 or 26 episodes to say something in the same style, but not. Uh, at least the best of those clones do that. 
it's part of why there are expectations on Franks is because there's a real hope that's like, these are people who are adjacent to that Gynax universe. They should have something constructive to say about the Ava style of robots. And so far you're just kind of like, well, come on. And then like the few threads we're getting are like, are you just going to redo your Eureka 7? <laughs> was this the bait and switch? It's like, you thought it was going to be an Ava clone, but it's actually Eureka. Psych. See, with the, the thing about a bait and switch is that you can only go so long with the bait before the switch completely has no effect whatsoever. Um, and that's, I think that's another thing about Darling in the Franks is that the staff on that show, I think they know that they can get away with just dragging this out until like the last three or four episodes to finally, to finally say something and that what they say doesn't necessarily have to be what anybody wanted. Yeah. That, uh, that, that, that panel was good though. I'm glad someone, someone finally, uh, uh, took, took that kind of angle and did it as a panel. Um, it was a, it was a, it was a good idea. Uh, even though, uh, Steve does claim that he, he submitted it while he was drunk. Um, but <laughs> you know what? That's what it takes. Sometimes, sometimes you just gotta take, you gotta, you know, you, you, you gotta have the guts to take the shots that are weird. And sometimes that doesn't come naturally. So I, I also did two panels myself at the convention, uh, both of which were constantly rescheduled uh, right up to the very last minute uh, the last time i actually was not even informed uh that, that it was <laughs> rescheduled um they both had fairly good turnouts despite that uh they were uh canada anime bizarro wonderland which i did on the friday night uh and then i did uh your name starring keanu reeves on saturday uh they both went they, they both went pretty well i was working on them to like the the the, the final stretch pretty much um, Canada Anime Bizarre Wonderland, uh, it's kind of an evolution of panels I've done before. I'm just taking all the, you know, Canada stuff I usually talk about, but just gearing it towards Americans who don't really know anything about that, uh, and are just kind of, you know, enamored by this idea of Canada being just this slightly weird alternate universe compared to the United States. Um, <laughs> this ersatz America. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it, 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 you know, it went over pretty well. And, uh, Your Name starring Keanu Reeves is, of course, comparing Your Name to The Lake House. Uh, I. And that's gonna guarantee get like, that's got an audience. Like, there are people just gotta see, like, how that's gonna play so, out. See, the, the funny thing is, at the beginning of the panel, I think a lot of people didn't actually know what it was about, despite the fact that, uh, you know, it was in the panel description. That was for the best, because that's certainly a, a panel name that's gonna generate a lot of interest. Um, and I, you know, I actually kind of regret putting, um, even mentioning The Lake House in the description, because, you know, a lot of people don't seem to remember that movie. Um, um yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the problem is, is like anybody who's like gonna be in the anime con demographic who isn't also maybe also like, they're not just Andy Twitter, they're film Twitter. Like those, okay, those guys will remember, but, um, like for the general, like I'm just a, I'm just a young anime fan. I'm going to a con. It's all like they know Keanu Reeves because of movies, yeah. but they're not necessarily going to know like the Keanu Reeves romantic time travel thing that was kind of niche and somewhat you know oddly received at that at the time like they're just they, like that wasn't what the kind of media they were watching at that age like they're too they're, but even people our age who and I, I mean admittedly yeah. i think at the, at the time that lake house was targeted at like basically women in their 30s so yeah. a, little, a little older than us still but. that's 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 still gonna miss a lot of like because like here's the other thing even anime fans in their 30s are like basically regular people in their 20s a lot of the time <laughs> like in terms of like their their media tastes and that's not a knock it's just what it is I, i'm still surprised by the number of people older people who didn't 
like just just had no clue that this movie existed. It and it, I was a little nervous before doing the panel as well because like there's it was it's pretty is a pretty elaborate panel in the way I like contrasted analysis of, of your name with really bad clips from from the lake house because it was a really bad movie with some really hilarious scenes in it yeah that's why no um, also why people don't remember it it wasn't like a great film like it's oh it's not, a you know ter- it's, it's a terrible movie and it was really complicated to put together and I just i didn't know how each scene was gonna land with the audience and some, some things that i thought were gonna be like big hits didn't you know didn't get a huge rise but some things i wasn't expecting the audience to laugh at people just like went nuts over it sets you up better for the next time you do it exactly. uh, somewhere I, else I, because now you know what people I, care about. I know what to play up, even though, you know, audiences can always be different when you're at, when you're in different areas and different conventions. Um, it was interesting when I started the panel, I mentioned that uh, in this, you know, in this panel, I'm going to basically spoil key, po- key points of your name. So if you haven't seen your name, please leave. And a lot of people apparently just came for Keanu because uh, a, a lot took off when I gave that spoiler warning at the beginning, uh, which I thought was, was, was kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, despite all the constant reschedulings, uh, the, the panels had a good turnout and went pretty well. Um, regarding those reschedulings, um, a, a number of panels were actually canceled. I think like on the first day, something like a dozen panels were just removed from the schedule. Um, this or- organizationally, SakuraCon was a bit of a mess. Well, it was a bit of a mess this year. Um, Sounds like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most of the stuff that I was going to wasn't really effective, and I have I have finally learned when you go to a convention, just stick with the the guidebook app. Don't ever go by what's printed anymore because it's never it's yeah, never reliable. It, like like but, now that they don't have to worry about like now now that they have that as an option, the like I think there used to be a pressure on cons to hone that in, like try try and keep that locked in because it's like how are we going to tell everybody? Now it's like everyone's connected, uh, Lane. Uh, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, uh, not just organizationally, but also over the last, you know, 11 or 12 years that I've been to, con- been to this convention, I have to say that this is, this was by far probably the worst year for guests in industry, aside from things like, uh, the industry panels. There were like some, some voice actors from Japan and a few, a few creative people, but most of the primary focus uh, was on the guests who were involved with the the Fate Grand Order mobile game, um, which I guess that's a big deal if if you're, you're if you're one of those people who likes to you know gamble but not really gamble on uh, on, on the the gacha stuff. I mean, obviously that was a, a big a big deal for a lot of people, uh, and I know I'm a bit of a hypocrite by saying this, but you know that's not really what I want to see from from anime production stuff because that's not anime production. That's something tangentially related to anime. I, I know it, it sounds a bit hypocritical because last year, of course, their big focus was on Thunderbolt Fantasy, which is uh, not anime but puppets or anime or puppets written by anime <laughs> anime writers. Uh, and I thought that, w- that was cool. Uh, maybe I'm just biased in that in that regard. I think it's tough because it's also it's just there's not really a place necessarily for that kind of um, heavily... Japanese gaming, I think it like American gaming conventions. Like, I don't think they would get much focus at PAX if you were to bring those people over, uh, for that. But it's also just sort of like, it would be useful to have that as one of the things. I remember the one time I went to convention. Anime Expo, Atlas had a, uh, a massive booth at Anime Expo versus when they're at PAX and they just had a tiny little stand kind of tucked away in the corner that nobody could see. I mean, they, 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 they knew their, they, they know their audience for sure. Um, and there's uh, exactly you know, not not a lot of overlap there. 
I mean, it's it's weird. I mean, there is, but there isn't. And it's the kind of thing, though, where, though, whereas it's going to be center stage at an anime con um, or sharing, uh, de- depending on what kind of guest other guests are getting in, sharing it with equals. It's like when you're, oh, Atlas, and you're like, P5 is this great game. It's very successful. But, you know, you're not Far Cry 5. You know, you're just not in that same league of, like, just bazillions of dollars being thrown at it. So, yeah, I mean, there, there was the, the, the Fate Grand Order stuff. Uh, they did bring in two animation directors, uh, this time Mamoru Yokota and uh, Shigafumi Shingaki. Um, they, I went to one of their sort of uh, live sketch panels. I mean, those are always fun. Uh, there's, there's a base level enjoyment that you're always going to get from that. Uh, at, at the panel we got to see, I think it was uh, Yoko, Yokota. Um, drawing a Nami and Chopper from One Piece, and it was kind of funny because as he drew Nami, her boobs kept getting bigger. Like as the drawing progressed, um, when, uh, tracing over this. Let me let me fix this. Yeah, uh, tracing over it again. That's actually more or less what was happening. Um, it, was, it, it was it was funny to watch for sure, uh, and I think both of those guys. Uh, that's worked, how it. That's how it happened in One Piece. <laughs> they worked in. They, they both worked at Toei, and um, you know they they didn't have the most interesting uh, stories, at least you know compared to to a lot of other creators. But it was still, you know, those are those are always, you know, seeing animated creators actually draw live is is one of the most enjoyable things you can see. But again, I, that also feels like another thing that's been kind of like subverted by online. It's like I can also see I can follow Moyo Kano on Instagram and see her draw live at random times like they it just which is amazing that's super cool this like incredibly tight loop but then it's like again what is what is the role of the convention in modern fandom because it's like it's like if it's if part of that's trying to bring you closer to the creators it's like i can like hit a button and see that that like was like it was seen by that yeah it's crazy this is, this is coming back to to me being you know a hypocrite in the way i criticize uh things about conventions but you, you know it, it really it I guess I've gotten a stronger sense than ever that the social aspect of a convention is more important than, you know, the actual industry aspect a lot of the time, which is uh, a sentiment I have fought against uh, for for many years. Um, But, you know, I guess inertia is just kind of moving things in that direction now more than ever. Um, One guest that I did regretfully kind of miss out on was Ian Sinclair. Uh, He he was at the con. uh, He's, of course, the, the voice of Space Dandy. And I, both of his panels conflicted with, uh, with other stuff going on, so I couldn't, I couldn't make it. Um, I do kind of regret not just like popping into his autograph and saying hi, or just getting him to sign my book or something, because he seems, he seems like a, like a, like a really great larger than life personality. I think it, w- it would have been fun just to, uh, just, just to, to bask in his, his presence for a little bit. I've, I've heard he's a dandy guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just love those Adult Swim Space Dandy ads that they they did back uh, when they were advertising the DVDs. So yeah, that's that's pretty much all I have to say about about the con. Uh, it was good. I'll go again, of course. You know, obviously, like even the, even you know at at its worst, guest turnout the soccer con is still head and shoulders above you know pretty much any Canadian convention when it comes to industry stuff, especially something like Anime Revolution. Um, but you know, it's all relative, of course. Um, but yeah, that was that was one thing uh, on this magical april fool's day weekend uh the another thing uh was one long-awaited premiere that took place reboot the guardian code uh another thing that happened over the april long weekend um it was specifically the release of the first 10 episodes of that series uh on netflix in every country except canada uh if you uh-huh. uh canada the country where the series is being produced uh will of course be receiving the series as a weekly broadcast on ytv starting in june um, which is like the worst way you can make one of these broadcasts domestically stream internationally deals. 
Um, <laughs> not not that I think people should be you know writhing in anticipation to see it anyway. Um, just just in case you're not aware of of this series, uh, reboot the Guardian Code is to be the end result of a uh, long and tortured journey in uh, various entities that are all kind of the same entity uh, trying to continue reboot. It is produced by a company called Mainframe Entertainment. Oh, wow. This podcast is cursed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's produced by a company called Mainframe Entertainment, which is really just uh, a, sub- a subsidiary spinoff of Rainmaker Entertainment, who who uh, bought out Mainframe long ago. Um, and it's not the original mainframe that, that made the series. Uh, there are a few names attached to it that were involved, especially in the early episodes of, uh, of, of Reboot. Um, but that clearly didn't have any effect on this show whatsoever. Um, the original creators were not involved with this at all. Um, and at least one of them, Gavin Blair, um, who's the most prominent, uh, sort of co-creator of Reboot. Uh, he has a, a large presence online and, and interacts with the fans a lot. Um, he has actually actively disavowed it online uh, and he did so in a much more he's been doing so in a much more hostile fashion than i really expected from him and i, I think it's also protective though yeah, oh yeah, for sure. it's like it's yeah. like because otherwise people are gonna be like well what about this in the new show it's like that's not that's not me yeah. like you you gotta you gotta you gotta ignore that stuff up front yeah. no one i think would who who actually watches this thing or even have just seen the trailer from this thing would i don't think they should think they would think for a second that any of the original creators were involved with it um and for that reason alone even if you know i could think of anything overly positive or potentially positive to say about the series it would be moot it's irrelevant they have a story they wanted to tell they have been they have been denied the ability to tell that story for many years now and to have it continue without them is just uh it's pretty insulting really um well also it's like did it from what i have heard it has nothing really to do with what had come before. So it's also, it's like, it's not even, like, there was no reason to use this IP other than nostalgia to tell the story. They could have made an entirely new thing up with the same actual plots and it would have been fine. You could have put, you could have sold that direct to Netflix, except Netflix wouldn't have had a nostalgia IP to, to hawk it with. It's ridiculous in that sense. So how, how this thing kind of came about in the form that it did doesn't really make any sense because, like you said, uh, it has no real discernible connection to the original reboot. Um, and it also doesn't really have anything of actual nostalgia value in it, um, except for, for the, the final episode of this set, episode 10. I'll get to that one in a sec because it's kind of its own, that's kind of its own subject. Um, now, I, 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 had, I did have a chance to watch it over the weekend because I was in the States on Netflix, um, but because I didn't want to spoil the good time I was having, I chose not to, and I just pirated it when I got home. Um, and after watching you it... You could have used a VPN. You know, you know what? I'm not going to say this very often, um, but <laughs> if you are going to watch this series, um, I think that you should pirate it. Uh, just the very nature wow. of this production. I don't think that it should be supported. Um, you have to you wow. have to understand that we are you know living in an age where hate watching is a is a, is a form of validation when you're it's true it's true it's it, hate hate watching is the clickbait headline of television exactly uh, and I I know that we we all inexplicably love Neo Yokio but the fact that it's getting renewed for a second season should be a warning sign for 
you know, watching it things le- just because you hate them. At least it isn't like they're making more handshakers. <laughs> <laughs> handshakers is getting a dub in a in a home video release though. So <laughs> um, that no, that that's out. I the screener came across uh, the desk of Toon Zone um, recently, and I'm like, do I want to do I want to ask for that? And, get, and go through the hassle of getting that to me because it's like $10 to ship it from the States and all this just to hate watch it and just to trash it. And I'm like, I can't ethically justify that yeah. <laughs> for a lot of reasons. And the reason is, is yeah, just like hate watching uh guardian code legally will get you more guardian code right quick. Um, and like worse, they'll be like, Oh, you don't like it. We'll make things will be as controversial as possible until you stop watching. Um, and which point then will be canceled. Yeah, no, it is, it is literally the like, it's, it's the bad editorial in the New York Times and the Atlantic that's like, you know, uh, being soft on the outright. Like they wrote that because they knew that you'd share it and they'd get yeah. ad dollars <laughs> and it would pay for other journalism that they maybe couldn't afford that you won't share, even if it's great. Um, like there's like, I mean, it's, it really is, uh, uh, it's a problem. And I do worry that, um, just the fact that that was released the way it was is maybe, I wonder to what extent internally that's now a thought at on on television production uh for online streaming or or otherwise because it's certainly there in writing. Our media dystopia is here. Yeah. There's certainly the like I'm going to make a bad hot take because people will then be like look at this bad hot take that I've shared with my 25,000 2 million followers like it's ridiculous. And that's like, so please don't be, don't be the person sharing the dumb article that's intentionally bad. Don't be the person watching the Guardian Code. Yeah, I, I, now I did watch all 10 episodes. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it is, it follows basically the same kind of idea as, as Zix or Code Lyoko. Um, I want to, I, <laughs> I want to say that it's actually closer to Lawnmower Man. Um, admittedly, that's a bit hyperbolic because Lawnmower Man is wonderfully bad. This is just painfully mediocre. Yeah, it's about uh, these kids who go to uh, Alan Turing High, the most advanced technical school in unspecified West Coast city. Hasn't uh, Alan Turing been through enough? <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> how, um, what what kind of disrespect <laughs> can, can you pile on a dead man? I guess that's what it is. It wasn't enough that they cast Benedict Cumberbatch as as Alan Turing. Now this, man. Um, <laughs> you know, main character uh, who, what, what's his name? Austin? Austin. He and these four other randoms, they, they play this video game. They discover that the video game was developed by Austin's father as a way of gathering them together so that they could... So it's also Tron. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it even has a character who's like, kind of like, Olivia Wilde's character in in Tron Legacy, she's you know basically a, an AI that gets pulled into the real world, which is also a Kodioko thing, I think as well. Probably, I never watched Kodioko. Um, bits and pieces. It's really hard. It's really hard to watch because it's like that. It's like peak French French wannabe anime, and it's like I can only I I really appreciate their their passion for the art, but it's just not from, not, not not an aesthetic for me. But but anyway, yeah, the, the kids they go into digital land and fight boring looking enemies uh because this guy this guy who hangs out in a warehouse and wears a hood over his over his face and calls himself the sorcerer notes that it's spelled s-o-u-r-c-e-r-e-r sorcerer oh wow 
That's some like bad nerdcore rap joke. <laughs> I can say that. Yeah, he has some ambiguous hacking plans uh, are afoot with him. One thing he does in episode two is the only discernible link to the original reboot series is that he, he recovers Megabyte from an old system and basically turns him into his servant. And Megabyte seems more than happy to play this role, which is a complete uh, departure lame. from the actual character from the original. Um, it also gives them a really lame redesign. Uh, the plot of each episode is lifeless, and somehow just each episode just feels like it's completely wasted its running time, uh, failing to do anything interesting or unique, um, I- either in an overarching story or in individual stories. But enough about Darling and the Franks. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> as, we, as we mentioned, it, uh, it lacks any element that even remotely resembles the original reboot, like pop culture references or com- uh, computer puns or jokes. And no it's, matter how it's a lame. shame because you, could, because you could go so deep with that these days. Like like an evil plan could involve like cryptocurrency and otaku coin or something. Like there's so there's so much so much fucking meat on, these, on those bones these days. My dream of seeing a reboot <laughs> episode based around a dating sim has just been squashed forever because there's no yeah. way that the writers behind this show would even have the inspiration to do something like that. Like, even is it like, I mean, that's the thing is like, there's countless asides that would be very much from the original spirit of, of the show that it sounds like they missed. Like, cause I mean, that's the whole thing is that you don't have to like, that shit doesn't even have to be center focus. Like they didn't like lean on that. It's just, that was part of the ambience. And it's so easy these days. You don't even have to worry about are people are going to get it. Everybody's going to get it. And the fact that they, if they don't, there's going to be like 20 people on Twitter being like, "Did you notice in the background there was a uh, uh, cryptocurrency logo? Did you notice? Uh, did you notice they were they had, like they named a character ICO? It's very funny. You know, like there's like you don't you know like that stuff is just honestly, if it was there as window dressing, would probably make a would probably do a lot for it. And it's so easy to do that window dressing these days if you have like one technically inclined person involved anything to even make the series stand out on its own merits whether through just humor or the premise it just feels very thoroughly suppressed like i i know that there's no way that all the people on this show so uninspired and incompetent to produce something this bad there there is there's some kind of active suppression going on here people are, are pointing fingers at the show's producer michael heffron who actually he is he is listed as the creator I have the opening credits of, of the new series. Wow. Um, to this day, I do not understand what that guy's endgame is, because uh, he clearly, he claims to have appreciation for the original reboot. That does not show the final product. Um, he doesn't seem to have any desire to make anything new, because uh, that definitely doesn't come through the final product. Yeah, it's just a confusing mess. I, I will say that for, for all its flaws, uh, the show at the very least doesn't seem to have any terrible acting. Um, all the actors are, I, I don't want to say that they're not necessarily good but they certainly do the, the best that they can with this material they're given i, I mentioned like infantilized ai girl uh, vera in this show i i actually she actually in some cases borders on being actually kind of funny uh she she is just on the cusp of kind of maybe being a standout aspect of the show some some people i know will strongly disagree with me on that but um i think that her actress uh actually really tried to make it work um, but again, it's just not enough to really bring this show to where it wants to be. But yeah, the yeah the characters are just bland. I I, di- I didn't go over the characters yet. There's Austin, uh, who's our you know main white guy, uh, Tamra, who is um, <laughs> the uh, sarcastic vlogger. Who actually, that's 
I, I can't even think of anything else to say about her character. There's there's really nothing. I don't think she even had an episode that really focused on her. Uh, she has this or this weird stalker girl who's obsessed with her show, but the so far it hasn't gone anywhere with that, and I'm not expecting it to in the later episodes either. Um, there's one character, Parker. Um, I, I'm pretty now. I, I think he's supposed to be on the autistic spectrum, but like most of the sh- things that could t- potentially make the series stand out, they refuse to commit to it. It just feels completely suppressed. Also, he has this completely unsubtle uh, crush on Vera, the the AI girl, and it, it's just painful to watch. Uh, the, the second the slightest hint of it comes up, you're just like, oh no, they're actually going to play this out, aren't they? Um, and then there's uh, Trey, who is the, the black athlete, of course. Yeah, it's uninspired cast, uninspired everything. Um, in fact, the worst actors, the, the worst acting in the series, I would actually say, are from the original characters that they bring back in uh, in episode 10. They all kind of phone it in. Um, except for Shirley Milner, who you know, does her damnedest as hexadecimal, but uh, it, it's it's still not enough. Now, but he, here's the thing. Reboot, of course, had, even in its earliest, roughest episodes... Uh, it always had really effective world building. Um, only one episode of this new series even comes close to having any world building at all. Um, it's the one where we're introduced to like AI digital assistants who are being hijacked. So like you know the this this series version of uh, like Alexa or or Siri. They're, they're they're sort of depicted as characters that exist in the digital world that communicate with with humans. There was a lot of potential there. That, you know, could have shown how the world we saw in the old reboot evolved into sort of the AI interface that we mm-hmm. associate with computers today. But even in the episode that touched on that, you, you could tell there's just no interest or motivation in, in going in that direction at all. You know, honestly, I think that the approach this series takes, uh, the very premise behind it, um, not only could have been good, but it actually, if it had been done well, it could have been the best way to revive Reboot um, by just sort of re-envisioning it as something where people in the, you know, the real world uh, inter- interface or interact with the digital world. Because um, that's a much better analogy for how we interact with technology today. The original Reboot was set in a 1994 computer. Um, and I personally don't believe that you can just resume things from the way it ended at Season 4. I don't think there's any way you can do that that modern audiences are going to really care about apart from like the most hardcore fans of the original series i think that trying to explore uh what the real reboot world would be like today um and then working backwards is a better way of doing it and i mean even using like the live action um footage and you know going back and forth with the 3d world could have been a good way of doing it reboot the guardian code could have been a fine isekai uh if they had gone that route but they obviously did not want to go that route um, because having more live-action footage in each episode is, of course, much cheaper. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's considered, like, the opposite of, of Ready Player One, where it's like uh, Spielberg got to direct 11 minutes of live-action footage, and then the rest of it just happened to a computer and you didn't have to care. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's one thing that was frustrating to me, was that, like, I thought, wow, this, you know, I actually kind of think this could have been the way to do it if the people behind it had been competent. I don't know what the original creators would, would think of that, of course, which is the most important thing at the end of the day, but that was just kind of my takeaway from that. Any bit of goodwill that you could find in those first nine episodes are completely wiped away in episode 10, which is the one where they, you know, uncover the original mainframe and meet some of the characters from the original series. Um, it, it's... 
it's difficult to explain how awful this episode is. Um, I, I, I actually kind of recommend watching episode 10 um, just to see how shockingly miscalculated it is in just about every way. Um, I can't tell if it is trying to connect it to the original series, if it's trying to appeal to nostalgia, if it's trying to make fun of fans of the original series. It, it kind of seems to be trying to do all those things and failing to do all those things because it just... It, it, it just makes no sense at all. They find what is purported to be the original mainframe, um, and they travel inside of it and meet the original cast, played by the original actors for the most part as well. You know, their badly modeled mainframe looks worse than it did at any point in the original uh, series. I'd say even including the first couple of seasons, where obviously the standards for what looks good were, were very different. It's just like a, a barren setting with no effort put into it. The characters are completely awful looking uh the the models are, are just really bad they spout out catchphrases in really awkward and unnatural ways uh that feels like it is supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be appealing to the audience but it really isn't so if, if it was supposed to be a nostalgic throwback it just uh, falls completely flat if it's supposed to be a continuation it makes no sense because everything seems to be roughly at season one Again, no no effort to really connect it to the end of the old series. Um, and if it is just going with that season one status quo, I I don't understand what they were going for in any way. Um, and then you have the really bizarre element where a person who is apparently supposed to be the user from the original series discovers that mainframe was reconnected remotely, and then he somehow remotely connects to it and plays a game. Um on the series. And the funny thing about the user is that he's not just the user, he's also like a hardcore reboot fan who has all this re reboot paraphernalia in his what home. What the fuck? Um, what, what, yeah, why? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it It's astounding. It makes no sense at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Watch episode 10 yourself and, and just let it sink in how how much of a disaster so also the Also, the user was comic book guy the whole time. <laughs> yeah, like... Why? Okay, what? I mean, yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss loss for words on that one. It's oh my it, lord, it's, it, it's this weird. sounds painful. Uh, the series isn't painful. The series I, I I didn't have a difficult time getting through it. I found it watchable. It's just really bland and uninspired and boring, um, and not at all really worth anyone's time. Um, and that's like the and that's like the worst thing these days. Is, like there's yeah. been there's been a lot of like reboots or not. Uh, sorry, reboots, maybe the wrong term. There's been a lot of revivals recently, or things that are de facto revivals, and they're polarizing, um, but they're at least, that gives them something. It's like Star Trek Discovery is polarizing. Orville, which is, let's be real, sort of like Seth MacFarlane's Star Trek fan fiction, is polarizing. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's something to it. Like, they're not boring you can tear into them you can tear into them from from angles um the star the the, the star wars stuff is usually at its worst the new stuff is usually at its worst when it's boring uh the stuff that's polarizing is at least like people are like i don't i didn't expect this it's like good that was at least something a thing happened uh the thing that you know and it's certainly when going back to evangelion uh the the new movies are nothing if not particularly three three it's like wow it's completely went off the rails great you can, we don't know what that means. We may never know what that means, but at least that was something that we just didn't get. Oh, this was a clip movie. Great. Um, the worst thing you can be is boring. And if this is kind of like 
eh, washes over you until it's at least actively antagonistically weird, that's trash. <laughs> that's actually more trash than if it were like trashy, which is crazy, but it's it's true. I mean, most of the uh, most of the successful revivals we've seen have been handled by their original creators as well. Uh, there have been successful ones without the original creators involved, but I think Reboot has to be the only one I have seen recently, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the only one where the original creators are actively opposed to what has been created. Uh, we can, you know, me, uh, I don't, Lucas kind of moaned about, about, the, about the new Star Wars, but I mean, he's not like, he, he, his, his, his taste is kind of like out the, out the door at this point anyways. Also, Lu- Lu- Lucas, I'm, 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 sh- Lucas really I'm sure. Lucas really sold Star Wars to Disney yeah, as yeah, well. You, yeah, so he, yeah, you, 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 you made like $50 billion, like, yeah, no, that's, um, that, that's, that's, that's condoning it as far as I'm concerned. Unlike the creators yeah. of Reboot who basically have not, were not offered what they asked um, yeah. and have never been able to have the chance to actually continue the, the series on their yeah. own terms. Um, For with, sure. With Lucas, um, it's not being continued the way he wants it to, but it's certainly on, T- his, it's on his terms because he willingly sold to Disney. So that's True. the big distinction there for me. True. Um, and it's also like that's a that's a film and television question, I think, as well, as opposed to like – you know, media that's run so long that like it's had a trillion creators anyways. It's all like, yeah, DCAU, MC, Marvel, uh, Cinematic Universe, you know, whatever. It's like those, those kind of things that are based off these like forever running comic book things are maybe a different issue in terms of rebooting and reworking and constantly whether people like that is kind of moot because there was already like 30 billion exactly. people involved in it. Um, yeah, Co- comic book, com- yeah. comic books are, are just IP mines basically. And then, the, yeah. and then the, the derivative works also feed into those IP mines. They're, Marvel and DC are really unique in that sense. Yeah, I really can't think of any other form of media that's quite like that. I mean, I think they're gradually turning things into that. But um, reboots to reboots not something to, to 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 try and turn into like your franchise IP mine. Or it seems like you'd have to like let the creators do everything they want with it and then like 30 years pass and then, you know, whatever. Like it, when you're doing that with Star Wars and Star Trek, those feel like a bit more natural because effectively the original creatives in it and even the successor creatives in it are like long since out of the, the thing. And it's an, and it's such, it's so woven to the pop culture thing. It's, it's like comic books at this point in that sense. And also they were still sort of much more group creative works than, uh, in retrospect, um, than, reboot was like all like a lot of the best parts of star trek weren't lucas a lot of the or star wars weren't lucas haha <laughs> i want to piss off some nerds with this um i say this as a nerd a lot of a lot of what made star wars work wasn't lucas it was other directors a lot of what made star trek work was not roddenberry at all it was like hired gun sci-fi writers um and directors um completely throwing out the window so much of what he wanted so again those those are kind of you know, if people who were originally attached are like, I don't like the where they took this. It's like you don't you don't get to care. You were at you were a drop in the bucket. Whereas I think I, you can't say that for reboot. Yeah. What I'm still hoping will happen is that this whole thing just fails miserably. Rainmaker will sell the rights to reboot who someone to someone who actually gives enough of a shit to pay the original creators what they want to continue it the way they want. I, I don't know if the mere existence of the Guardian Code or the large amount of publicity it's generated will make that more difficult. Um, but I, I guess I'm just hoping for like a, a Dragon Ball Evolution kind of situation where the attempt to create something new is so bad that everything just kind of works in the favor of the original creators again and gets us a 
Super uh, out yeah, of this. Yeah, Dragon Ball Super. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Reboot Super. Yeah. Reboot overclocked. Uh, let's see. I got the branding online. It, it is funny. There's still a lot of people online as well who are holding out hope that <laughs> Reboot the Guardian Code simply has not uh, reached the fireworks factory yet. But like I kind of alluded to before, um, you can only you can only bait the audience so much before the switch is, is effective at all. Um, it, it, it is it is a tough thing to kind of have these. I feel like also I mean I feel like that's another thing that's very tough for any of these things that are either in the spiritual vein of something else or is a direct reboot. It's it's very hard to sort of balance like satisfying new fans, satisfying old fans over jamming too much stuff in not having enough stuff in there it's like balancing like getting to the fireworks factory versus being like it's a non-stop fireworks show and just there's a real art and finesse to this that i think we're only beginning to see because we get to see so many reboots we get to see so many things that are being like revived now that we can start to be like nitpick like approach and get an understanding of what will tend to work and what will not will not tend what will tend to fail in these reimaginings of things um and in that it's really uh <laughs> yeah you, you it becomes apparent that some of these things just didn't get what the original was about and doesn't you like they don't even know where to put the fireworks factory i guess is where i'm getting at like so many things it's like they have no idea where you want to have the twist um but you certainly i think in a general sense if you've got 10 episodes if you haven't given me juice by five Mm, it's that's it's not going anywhere, and you know what? This this isn't going to be the last time we talk about uh, reboot the Guardian Code on this show. I am certain. So may, maybe let's move on to uh, the last big event of this April Fool's Day. And I, uh, interestingly, on the same kind of topic of revival, yeah, exactly. Um, another revival which also has had no real involvement with its original creators, uh, but had a much different reception. Um, and this one was not hyped for months this came as a surprise at the last minute it was actually funny because- well i mean it it was and it wasn't it's like we like the we, like everybody who everybody has known that this is coming what we thought was is we'll see this in september we did not think like oh shit they're gonna they're gonna sneak premiere this because i mean i mean while adult swim so we'll just gradually allude to this well adult swim has a habit of sneak premiering things and in fact the roots of the block are in secret premieres um, of content they were legally told to show uh, as part of getting it in the first place. We did not expect this, and that's I think I think that uh, I think that can sometimes help yeah. too. So as, as their April Fool's joke, uh, Adult Swim in the United States premiered uh, episode one of the third season of Fooly Cooly, uh, not the second season. It was the third season, um, and that, it was rumored uh, to be happening a little a, a few hours earlier that day. It was funny because. Uh, at the time that it was happening, which was 9 p.m. Pacific, uh, Jarvis was doing a panel at uh, at SoccerCon. It was his uh, awesome anime endings panel. He showed the ending to the original Fooly Cooly right at 9 p.m. So it was cool. We we got the word to him that um, that uh, the new show was airing on Adult Swim on the East Coast at that time, and he was able to announce it, and the audience cheered, and it was uh, it was it was pretty memorable. And you would think that I would be really really fortunate to be in the states at the time and be able to witness it live. But unfortunately, the hotel I was staying in only had the Eastern feed of uh, Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. So, <laughs> so when uh, when I tuned in at midnight, um, well, I, I got I caught the end of Mind Game, which they played right after uh, Fooly Cooly, and then we got to watch JoJo's and uh, Hunter x Hunter in Japanese with English subtitles because that was their gag for the whole night. Was that not everything? Not only were they gonna 
show those th that that content um, with no announcement. Uh, they also played them in Japanese with English subtitles, and the first time that Adult Swim has ever actually done that with any content. And then did all of their bumps also in yes, Japanese? Have we ever identified who was doing Tom's Japanese voice? I think somebody mentioned that on Twitter. Like, I think, uh, I, th I want to say Jason DeMarco said, but I do not recall what he said. So, um, look it up. That's, that's homework for everybody listening to the podcast. So, yeah, I didn't get to see Fully Cooly live. I did catch it eventually, of course. Um, and it was very good and everyone seems to agree with me on that. Uh, well, it's, it's been interesting. Like, there were a few people online who are like, it seems like it's, like they could really, they could not get past, like, that it had the choice of setting and not realizing it's like you do realize that yes, it's kind of like they've, it's not, uh, it's not about a young boy. It's about a group of, of, of slightly older, but still, uh, very interestingly, they're all 17. So that means they're all the same age as Samba Jimmy and Mimi. So they're all like high school girls. And you think, and it, it is the fully clearization of a slice of life, Kayani, kind of show and i realized that like that's actually genius what i found interesting um, is that it, it did not emulate the original fully cooly in ways that you would expect or were really obvious no it, it did it in all these other way it, 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 it i think it's interesting because i think people are gonna go we're gonna get these two new series and they're going to actually add valuable context about what the original series was about besides being a coming of age story and you realizing that there's a deeper thread um that was in the original show that they've realized actually that's the thread you can you can expand on besides the obvious like intergalactic conflict stuff there is the much more real there's the much more tangible thing of small town media to to you know, sort of like large town to medium city japan that was very much when i you know go back to it especially having visited japan now a couple of times and particularly smaller areas like gifu and takayama and uh nara that are not these like hyper massive cities that are these places that are captured in the original fully Kuli and certainly seem to be captured in fully Kuli alternative the third series and realizes like, oh, there, it's a love letter to something that's, that's not, that they know is not going to stay there forever. And that ties in really well with the rest of the coming of age stuff that these ideas, it's like you have both a macrocosm side of the size of this, and then you have the microcosm of that in the characters. Um, and that these things interrelate in a way more interesting way than was a necessarily, um, the focus, or, or put it this way, it was one of many things in the original Fully Coley that you can then actually say, like, you can, any series, you can take any of these, I guess you'd say genres or concepts that are common in anime, whether that's the, the young boy coming of age with mechs, whether that's, uh, the slice of life, uh, Iyashike, all girls cast series, and we'll sort of see exactly what they're going to be running with, um, with, uh, Fully Coley Progressive, though the feedback from the, uh, premiere at C uh, at the Chicago comic-con was incredibly positive for that. And what I, I, what I get this distinct feeling for and wrote a great big essay that will eventually hopefully fingers crossed be up on tune zone about, um, which I, and this should say a lot, like I haven't written an essay for them uh, in probably at least three years, probably like four or five, like probably half a decade. Um, and there was immediately so much meat in this singular episode tied into like how fully coolly like into the original show in really refined ways 
really smart ways and ways that show that like, yes, this is a different set of creatives, but they get this at, at a level that, um, I clearly some of the audience didn't, but clearly other, some of the audience did. Uh, and they, they made it work. They made it work, uh, incredibly well. Um, while being, like I said, this love letter to this kind of Japan that's changing. Like, I mean, the fact that the giant iron, um, so this, you know, this thing that was uh, of industry is replaced with a, basically, uh, a giant, uh, Jusco, or I guess Jusco was bought out by, Mar- not Marori, but one of the other big Japanese department store chains. And the thing is, you do actually see, like, the building that they show there is, is kind of a joke or a kind of hyper-exaggerated. You do see those, and it, it is this really grotesque kind of contrast between, like, here's this town that's had its lovely little shopping district since the 1950s, and, and then here's this massive, soulless glass and concrete thing. Um, that's just sucking the life out of the city. And you're like, oh, that's clever. Like that's exactly, that's the iron. Like that's, it fits. So it locks in in just the same way and, and, and tonally. And the fact that they set that up effectively just by saying like, that's a cultural implication. Like you have to kind of get that and have, and maybe have seen it. Folikoli is about what you gain and what you lose in adolescence and how you choose to transition from adolescence to adulthood and what adolescence actually is and what adulthood actually is. Um, you know, these are big themes in Fully Coley and they do all sorts of little metaphors here and there. Like, you know, when you try and act, ma- act mature and you're still a kid, that's extra childish. When you're a kid and you actually embrace your childhood, that's actually more mature. Con- and that's a big part of the original Fully Coley here. The lead character is clearly immature and emotionally stunted when she's just like, I'm you know, there's one thing to be now at his age and be like, I wish there was a magical wizard. You'd be like, that's exactly what you should expect at 12. It's a whole other thing to be like 17 and be like, I wish a magical cat would bring me a wand. It's like, you can't be dreaming about being Sailor Moon at 17 necessarily. You've got to figure out a bit of more of a lane because there's this explicit rebuke in the original Fully Cully of that extended adolescence in, uh, the eyebrows character and what's his in and Amar, Amaro. Yeah. Like he is, he's hyper childish, um, even as an adult and that's to his disadvantage. So there's an inch, you know, like they've already set up with, um, the new characters, some great interplays. And there's a whole oh. lot of like rapid fire visual there that doesn't even register. Like there's, there's just the fact that they show for a split second, what basically each person's lunch is. And that's immediately reinforcing things you've just learned about their character and the previous two scenes at the lockers and in the, uh, classroom. Like that's absolutely fully coolly storytelling. And it's the kind of thing that, um, at best would then become over, overdrawn out in another show. I think in the, like in another show, you'd want to like, if you had like 12 or worse 24 episodes, you'd be like, I'm going to gradually introduce each of these, this, this click instead all of that energy is brought together in the first four minutes of the show. In the first four minutes of the show, you've already learned an incredible amount about these people, and they're very three-dimensional, especially for the Iyashike genre. Like like I said, these characters are very quickly developed and very fully developed for Iyashike characters within the first four minutes, let alone the first episode. So right there, that's a very fully cool thing to say, like, hey, you know that genre that takes X and kind of doesn't necessarily say a lot? We're going to take that genre and we're going to compress it to six. And by the end of the first episode, we may have gotten more done than it's 13 and certainly it's 26 episode equivalent. Um, so it feels like structurally it's embracing what fully Cully does and message wise embraces what it does. And even stylistically, even though it's softer and feels a bit more like a, 
like KyoAni look. There's still things in tro- uh, there's still some storyboarding choices that are like very fully Kali-esque. Like the second you have that scene where they're keep doing cuts that are gradually cutting out of the picture. Um, the person's trying to explain the rocket and then she bursts through all of the cuts. That's a, that is the, that is a Iyashi K acceptable version of the manga. Did, did scene. you find that, you the, know, the general atmosphere of the series was more in line with the adult school aesthetic? Not, not, not so much the aesthetic of their shows, but the just aesthetic of the block. Uh, that they try to set through like the um, bumpers and stuff. I think it's not necessarily that it's in, intentionally in that. I think that if you're going to do, if part of what you're leaning into is a more slice of life feel than a more manic feel, um, it's going to fit with the kind of chill, cool flavor of the Adult Swim block naturally. I don't think that's an intentional thing. I think it's an outgrowth of the genre they've picked to use as a basis for this episode or for this series of Fully Cully. If what you're going to do, and that's interesting because I wouldn't have thought that necessarily about Iyashike work, but it actually makes sense. Like it makes sense that like, oh, we well, we kind of have these people in like a cool little small town, and they're just kind of effing around. I'm like, actually, they're, okay, that's just natural. That's a natural fit to Adult Swim. I don't think that's a constant. It's like we need to make this more like an Adult Swim thing because I think if they were, they would not have. I you know like it's such, and I will say this: it's like it should not be a gutsy choice to have like f- four high school girls as the leads in your adult swim sequel series, but that's actually a pretty, it's a very conscious choice that goes against the grain of anything else that runs on adult swim with any sort of regularity. And I think also adult swims aesthetic has been too, in no small way informed by work like fully Cooley. I think like that there's a, there's a huge, that has been a definitive that and like cowboy bebop are definitive linchpins in that block they can they will rerun those things forever like even if they never made more fully coolly they would rerun that once a year until time stopped because it will always be relevant there's nothing about that that will ever necessarily read as dated i mean if anything like the tough part is is like it's a you know when you're showing a newer show uh, i gotta show them with like some cell phones and shit in it and like that 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 will probably age it a little yeah i guess my final thoughts on that i'm really looking forward to the rest of the new season of the new seasons of fully Cooley. Um, I'm going to be very curious to see what progressive is, is uh, fully Cooley progressive is doing because I, I really, do, I really don't have any worries about alternative at this point. I realize what they're probably going to do. I kind of got a sense of where it's going to go and I have no worries about that staff that they have proven themselves easily. And like I said, um, you know, it's more honestly with progressive at this point, considering it's already getting good online buzz. I'm like, I'm really just want to see it. I don't really, I'm not actually worried about it. Um, and like I said, I think the interesting thing is I, I, I would have never figured I didn't see the, the through line that would let them make infinite fully Cooley before, but just from one episode of alternative, I'm like, they could every 10, 20 years or how often they can get the right people together, take the, you know, bring how to, how to, how to go into another, another person's life. That's another kind of story and bring that story together with the overarching space opera type stuff uh, and robots popping out of heads type stuff and bring that into um, six episodes and they still rock and you could have the pillows as long as the pillows are still making new music. I guess at a certain point, if you, you can't run out of pillows music, just start licensing pavement because it's the same. Uh, that's what they do. The pillows are just Japanese pavement and I, I love the pillows, but like it was be real. Um, 
no, it's it's really interesting. To, it, I really didn't realize that like that was possible with Fully Coley. So I mean, the fact that IG's pulled it off and that uh, Jason Amarco and, and Mike Lazo had the guts to 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 offer that latitude for them to find that and the budget for them to find that uh, is amazing. Um, I think they've got I think they've got hits on their hands, and I think that it's going to be. It's going to really, I think the main thing is this though. It's going to be a huge high watermark in anime, probably both of them. And the rest of the stuff this year is just going to be like, well, you know, it's good, but you know, fully Cully did it in six. Let's hope uh, that people outside of the U.S. don't have to wait till the home video release comes out to be able to watch oh, it. They still man. haven't, they haven't announced anything yet. Yeah, I, 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 don't think like they, a, I don't think they've even announced how people in Japan are going to be able to act. I think they, no, I think there's Japanese release dates um, okay. for, for physical. Because I recall that the Japanese trailer has basically the Japanese trailer makes it sound like both of them are going to de- to debut in September, which I think kind of that kind of sucks for them because it means that we're getting the we're getting. I mean, clearly it's done because we have subtitled copies. <laughs> There's a subtitled like this is clearly ready to go in Japanese. Like that could probably be out in disc now. Um, so it must really speak to like funding that like Adult Swim can say like we get to sit on it for us. We get the world premiere. Um, but let that be like, then premiere it throughout the world. I want access to this. Like I would, like if it was some sort of premium kind of access, I would, I would do it. Um, instead I will probably, uh, use like VPN and my parents cable or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> cable, cable. I, I like I will, I will, I will support it as legally as I can. Um, yeah, I, I don't trust Adult Swim to make this accessible outside of the United States at all. Honestly, yeah, they, no, 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 I control, do. So, yeah, I, I do really worry that this is gonna, I mean, put it this way, I'd say it would like hold it back, but it's fully coolly. It's just like, I, I hope they're not dumb enough to leave money on the table. Cause that's what it is. It's not going to impede its success. Um, people will watch it, uh, outside of the United States come hell or high water. It is the long anticipated sequel to something that people probably didn't even think a sequel was possible to um that's you know you uh, how how rare is this in anime uh in and in any sort of medium this is this is a you know this is you know this shit's like the tron uh legacy of uh anime it's like it's like we'll never see more of that and then you do and everybody you know the people who have been waiting for it are are thirsty for it so they can either make some ad money on that or streaming money or something. Um, or they can make sure that physicals are rapidly released and, and reasonable. Um, like, look, are, let's are hope it's not. St- are people still thirsty for Tron? I didn't think anyone was thirsty for Tron. Anymore. Well, I, well, when they, when that, when that, when that sequel came out, that was like, whoa, Daft Punk. Like, you know, it, you know, I think, I think, I think that's the interesting thing is, is like I said, we've, we've noticed a lot of, uh, revivals and, and reboots of reboot um, that suck. Like they don't, they or they just don't really hit the note. Um, uh, and I can't like. I think anybody who's like saying that fully coolie alternative isn't hitting the right notes. I'm like, you didn't get fully coolie then in the first place. Frankly, like if you're like if you're if you're just hyper focused on that the the cast kind of resembles Kaon, which I actually think in a lot of ways they break with in very important ways again within four minutes. Just having just having a girl who's like not like a ready to be an anime figurine, having having a girl who's a bit heavy set and but who's also clearly the like most on the ball and smartest of the group. That's 
so unlike any like flat slice of life show that um you should be you should be keying into like that this is something more than uh cute girls doing cute things um and if if you're not you're watch the original show again watch this show front to back think about it and i do hope people like that's because that's what follicle is there for it's like it's a fun ride but if you're just like it's random monkey cheese i'm like you're an idiot you did not get you're you it's it is it's deeper than that suramaki put more work into it and clearly these new people have tried to honor that uh in a real way all right well i think uh it's time to wrap up uh so carl thanks for coming on where can people find you on social media um i'm at carl r olson k-a-r-l-r-o-l-s-o-n on uh twitter and instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can also check out my music at uh, ultraclystron.com. That's a hard thing to spell, so really just follow me on Twitter. Ultra uh, Cly- <laughs> it'll be in the description of this podcast episode, <laughs> as it always is, because of course, uh, Ultra Clystron uh, is the uh, is behind the theme song for this show. Uh, you can find it on his album Packet Flood, and of course, you can find that at ultraclystron.com. So, thanks for tuning into Zonan Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge or email zonancanada at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice, and uh, leave a rating or review if you have a chance. That'd be really great um if you know anyone who might like this show please recommend it to them and see you again later